Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, church, it's good to be with you guys today. Um, I have been preaching live at a lot of the other campuses uh, around the Austin Stone for a long time, several months, and so it hit me that there's probably several of you that have no clue who I am. Uh, my name is Matt Carter. I'm the founding pastor of the Stone, and so it's good to to be back in the high school. I've missed the banners. Yeah, it's fun. And uh, so thank you so much. And um, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. So we're in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, that's cool. We're going to have the scriptures behind me on the screen. But let me say this. One of the things I've realized is the longer I live, the more I sort of realize that rest is something that all of us crave. You know, there's something about rest that we all really instinctively know that we need it. And so um, it's like when you, have a, when you have a vacation coming, when you have a vacation coming and it's, it's, on, the, it's on your calendar, it's July and, and you mark the days down to it and you, you can sort of endure everything that's going on because you know that that thing is coming. It's, um, rest is something that we all long for. And the older I get, the more I realize is that rest, real genuine rest is extremely hard to come by. And for most of us, we become aware of our need for rest about high school, right? You, um, you start having to take tests and, and, and you got grades you got to take care of and you got sports and that sort of thing. And you remember back when you were little and you're like, man, I remember when my mom used to make me take a nap and I hated it. And, but now I wish I could take a nap because I'm really tired. And you think, you know, I'm really busy. I really need a break. I need rest. And you genuinely think you're tired until you get to college, right? And you have tests and you have finals and you have organizations and activities and all this kind of stuff. And, and you, you look longingly back in the days when you were in high school and all you had to do was take a few tests and go to football practice or whatever. And so you think you're really busy and you think, man, I need a break until one day you graduate from college and you get a job and maybe you get married, right? And you're, you're going to work, you're working 50, 60 hours uh, a week or so, you're trying to pay the bills and you think to yourself, man, I'm really tired. I need some rest. Gosh, I miss college. When all I had to do was take tests and like go to frat parties and stuff, like that's all I had to do. And you genuinely think you're tired until you have a kid, right? And when you have a kid, you're up all night and you're changing diapers and, and, and you're like cleaning up puke and, and, and peanut butter that they smeared on the drapes and, and, and keeping them from running out in the street and killing themselves and stuff. And you think, man, I'm so tired. I need a break. I need rest. I just, I, I remember back when it was just my wife and I and all we had to do was work and go on dates. These kids are crazy. I need a break. And then one day you wake up and your kids are teenagers, but they don't drive yet. And so you come home from work and you literally spend the moment from you come home to work till at night when you crash in your bed, driving from event to event to event with all three of your kids back and forth. And then you think, gosh, I, I, I need a break. I'm so tired, I need a rest. I, I remember back in the day when all I had to do was come home and clean up puke. I longingly look and remember that. And then, and then one day you wake up and your teenagers can drive. And you think, now I'm gonna get some rest, finally. But then those people start looking at you like you're a walking ATM machine and you got to like take 
extra jobs just not to go into abject poverty, which is where I'm at right now as a human being. And I lay awake at night and fantasize about retirement, right? And that's the story of our lives. Rest is elusive. We literally spend our whole lives looking for it. And what Jesus is gonna say today, he's gonna make a bold claim. He's gonna say, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, I don't know about you, but that's intriguing to me. And what Jesus is gonna show us, church, is this. He's gonna show us that if you're weary today, that if you're having trouble finding rest, if finding real peace and real soul rest seems to be elusive to you, then that that's probably happening because you're looking for rest in all the wrong places. Well, last week we, um, we saw Jesus was teaching a specific crowd and he's talking about the day of judgment. And he said this, he said, on the day of judgment, it's gonna be, it's gonna be easier for people that were just hardcore sinners than it's gonna be for people that sort of experienced and came up next to the power and the presence of God but didn't respond. It's gonna be easier on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it is for just people that, that, that saw and encountered the presence and the power of God but were apathetic to it. Okay, and then what Jesus does next is he begins to talk kind of what's gonna happen and how people are gonna respond and why they're responding that way. Look, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. It says that at that time, Jesus said, I will praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. And that's key. Let me read that one more time. He says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Now, bottom line, Here's what Jesus just said. He said that the reason that people were experiencing and encountering sort of the presence of God but were responding in apathy towards him is because God was choosing not to reveal himself to them. And the reason that God was choosing not to reveal himself to them is because those people thought they were wise in their own understanding. They thought they were too smart for God and so he chose not to reveal himself to them. But then he says that God did choose to reveal himself to babes. He chose to reveal himself to babe. And what that means is that God loves to reveal himself to people who realize their desperate need for him. That's what um, the Beatitudes are saying. When Jesus says, blessed are, the, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who realize their spiritual poverty because they're gonna inherit the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is saying that when you come to him like a baby desperately needs his parents, then Christ, or the Father rather, reveals himself to you. Okay, now in the next verse, in the next verse, he makes this wonderful promise that for those of us that do come to him in this, in this desperate need, he promises that, that not only is he going to give us our greatest need, which is himself, but he's going to provide for us what is the greatest sort of longing of our soul, which is rest. Okay, so Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, let's watch this. 
Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now let's take, a, let's take a second and let's look at those two underlying phrases because frankly, honestly, those are, those are bold claims, what Jesus just said. And here's why, let's look at the first one. Jesus says, if you're weary and you're heavy laden, that's a word that means burdened. So if you're weary and you're burdened, Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to me now. Why is that a bold claim? Why is that such a bold claim? Well, I want you to notice what Jesus does not say. He, he does not say, hey, if you're weary, come to this new set of reasoning. He, he doesn't say, hey, if you're burdened, come to this new religion. He doesn't say, hey, if you're weary and you need rest, come to this new self-help program. Jesus said, if you're weary and you're burdened, I want you to come to me. And for the, for the original audience hearing that, that would have been preposterous. It would have been crazy. I guarantee the crowd hearing that originally would have, would have thought to themselves, who in the world does this guy think he is? Who has audacity to, to say, if I'm weary or burdened, I'm supposed to go to him to find rest. Now, here's why I say that that's crazy, and people would have thought it's crazy, because I'm on Instagram, right? And one of the things I've realized about Instagram is I think they read my email or something, or they're hearing me talk. Y'all with me? There's something weird going on about it, because I've got all these, I've got all these like advertisements that pop up on my Instagram feed, and you know, this guy or girl or whatever comes up on the Instagram feed, and they start to talk, and they say stuff like, hey, are you tired of being fat? Are you tired of being out of shape? Well, I've got a message for you, right? And I'm pretty convinced though that that's happening because what's going on is like my iPhone tracking device is like communicating to Instagram's algorithm that I went to Whataburger five times last week, maybe. But then what do the videos always say? They go on and they, they go, that's right, fat boy. If that's you, then I've got a five step program. It's gonna help you say no to Whataburger. Say yes, taking your life back. Now here's the thing, I'm realizing that my Instagram feed is full. It's full of people that are saying, come to me, okay? But why? They're saying, come to me because I have a new program for you. Come to me because I have a product for you that's gonna make your life better. Jesus doesn't say to the crowd, come to me because my new program or my new religion is gonna change your life and give you rest. Jesus says, come to me because I will give you rest. Who says that? Who says that? Nobody says that. Nobody has the audacity to say, come to me because I within myself, I personally within myself have the power to give you what your soul longs for the most. That's exactly what Jesus did. Now listen, church, what he's saying to us is crucial. If you're a believer here today, what he is saying is critical because it's something I think we sort of cognitively get, but we don't live out. What Jesus is saying is that rest is not found in a religion. He's saying that rest is not found in a program. Church, Jesus is saying that, what he's saying is that rest is found in a person and that person is him. So look at the second thing Jesus says here. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you 
rest. He says, come to me, and then I in my own person, in my own self, I'm gonna give you rest. Now, that sort of claim that he can give us rest is, is just as crazy and just as bold as the, the call to come to him, right? And here's why. Because humans, I was thinking about this, humans are actually capable of making that claim to come to me and I'll give you rest, but, but only to a really small handful of people in their lives. I was thinking about it. There's only, a, there's only a small handful of people in your life that you can actually say, come to me, and in some sense, you have the ability and capacity to lift that person's burden. For example, my wife. If my wife is hurting, if she's sad, she's frustrated, if somebody's wounded her, whatever, I can legitimately say to her, hey, darling, come to me. And I can put my arms around her. And I can care for her, and, and, and I can in some small sense give her some peace and some rest because I'm her husband. And as her husband, I have enough relational intimacy, and I have some capacity to sort of alleviate that burden. I was thinking about my kids. When they were little, they'd have nightmares, and they'd come into my bedroom and say, Dad, Daddy, I'm afraid. I'm scared. And I could say, come here. Come to me. And I could put my arms around them and comfort them. Because I'm their father, I had the relational intimacy and I had some capacity to alleviate that burden. I was thinking about, you know, friends in my life that are struggling. They can call me and say, Matt, I'm struggling. I can say, hey, come to me. Come over to my house. Let's hang out. I'll pray for you. I'll hear you. I'll listen to you. I'll be with you. And in some small sense, as their friend, I have the ability to comfort them and give them a small sense of rest. But listen, here's what you and I would never do. What you and I would never, ever do is walk up to a complete stranger and look at them and say, come to me because I have the power within myself to personally alleviate all your burdens. You would never, ever do that. Why? Because you don't have the relational intimacy, nor do you have the power to actually do that. Okay, there's only a small handful in the world people, a small handful of people in the world that I can make the offer of rest to and actually deliver. But watch again what Jesus says. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, come to me, all. <laughs> come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Now again, church, who in the world says that? Who says that? Who in the world has the audacity to make the claim that anyone and everyone in the whole world can come to him and he has the relational intimacy and the capacity and the power to actually deliver on the promise. Nobody does, but Jesus just did. And the, I was thinking about this, like it's sayings like that that when you, when you think about it, it's things like that are really one of, the, one of the reasons that I believe that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. It really is. Because guys, you don't make statements like that unless you are stark raving mad. You're actually, or you actually can do it. You know, I mean, I would, I would it would be like me walking around saying, hey, I can catch birds in midair with my bare hands. Like you'd never say that unless you, you know, you're either crazy or you can actually do it. 
And if you have no idea why I just said that, Google pastor catches bird with bare hands after church, and you'll know why I just said it. So Jesus says, come to me. He says, come to me, anyone, everyone, and I'm gonna give you rest. And he says that, church, not because he's crazy. He says it because he's the only person in the history of the world that actually has the ability to deliver on that promise. And here's a question. Why? Why is Jesus the only person in the history of the world to validly be able to make that claim and offer rest for the souls of all humanity? Why is he able to say that? Why is it true? I think one of the primary answers is actually found in the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Don't turn there, just listen. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And then watch what, what he says. It's talking about God. He says, and he has put eternity into the heart of man. He says, God put eternity in the heart of man. Okay? And so what that's saying is that when God created man and woman, he put eternity in their hearts. It, it, it means that for every human being that's ever lived, for every man and woman and child that's ever been born, God put inside your heart a longing for the eternal. It's in you. You may never have realized it. You may have never thought about it, but make no mistake, it is in you. A longing for the eternal is in your heart. If you think about it, you'll realize why it's there. You, not, or rather, you'll realize that you've noticed that it's there. Have you ever stopped for like a second and given any thought to why you have such a need for significance and value? Like why, have you ever like, why, have you ever, why do you need that stuff? Why do we strive for it? Why do we, because the animals don't. The animals don't walk around thinking to themselves, you know what, I just want to be known. You know, there's like, they want, a, they want a, like a nut or something to eat for lunch. That's all they, have you ever stopped for a second and thought about like, why, why does transcendent beauty so capture our attention? You see a sunset, you see mountains, like what, what is it about that that takes your breath away? Why? Have you ever thought about why? Like why is that beautiful? Why does transcendent power and talent like capture our attention so much? I was thinking about it. When Kobe Bryant passed away, I mean the whole world shut down. It captured the attention of like Everybody. And I was wondering why. And it's because through someone like Kobe, that was, he was the first transcendent athlete of, of my generation to pass away. And we would watch him and we'd get these little micro glimpse, glimpses of transcendence and it just captured our attention. And so we, when we lost him, it, it messed us up. Have you ever wondered like, why in the world do we hunger for fame and power and glory? Like what, why? Is it, is it some like, Fluke of evolution? The answer is no. Those things are in you and those things are in me because God put them there. He said he put eternity in the hearts of man. Now here's the thing. In the Garden of Eden, we had those needs met. He put in us our, these eternal longings and in the Garden of Eden, we had those eternal needs met. We, um, all those eternal hungers that we had were it, it, when we were with him, when we were in his presence, we were in the presence of the eternal God of glory and power and transcendent beauty. And so he met those longings. But what happened? We sinned. 
And when we sinned, Scripture says we were separated from God. And when we were separated from God, we, were, we, we lost that face-to-face intimate connection with the eternal satisfier of our souls. And so, listen, don't miss this. And so for so many of us, for the rest of our lives, we spend the rest of our lives trying to satisfy and fill these eternal longings with temporal things and with temporal people and with temporal experiences. And those things simply do not have the ability to deliver. Now, what do you think happens? What do you think happens when you try to fill an eternal longing with a temporal thing or person? God put an eternal longing in your heart. It is in there. Always gonna long for the eternal. What happens when to feel and satisfy that longing you go to some temporal thing? What's that vain pursuit gonna produce in you? It's gonna produce in you weariness. Weariness. When those eternal longings start bubbling up in us, what do we do? We go to food. And we go to sex and we go to alcohol. We go to friendships and we go on trips to Europe and we try to get better houses and better jobs and better cars and, and, and we seek power and control and comfort and approval and all these temporal things trying to satisfy an eternal hunger. And when it doesn't, because it can't, it leaves us emptier and wearier than before. So why in the world does Jesus say and make the claim that anyone and everyone can come to him and they will find rest? And the answer is because only an eternal God can satisfy your eternal hunger. And who's Jesus? Why is he uniquely qualified to make that claim? Don't turn there. Colossians 2.9, it tells us, it says, for in him, Jesus, Watch what it says. It says, all the fullness of God dwelt in bodily form. And so what the scripture said is Jesus is God. And so Jesus is the, listen, he's the only man that's ever lived that was fully temporal man and fully eternal God. And because he's the only man that's ever lived that's fully man and fully God, he is the only person in history that has the actual power and actual ability to meet and satisfy the eternal longings of our soul. And so when you come to him, and you come to him, when you turn your back on the stuff of the world trying to meet that need and you actually come to Jesus, he satisfies those eternal hungers and your soul will actually rest. Okay, now, really quickly, I think that begs the question, what does it look like to come to him? Like, what does it look like to come to him? How do we do that? If he's the only one, the only person that can actually give our souls rest, what does it look like to come to him? Does that mean I need to go to church more? Does it mean I need to come here and sing with more passion? Does it mean I need to sin less? What... Like, okay, Jesus, I'm in, I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna see if this works here. I'm gonna come to you because I want rest. What does it look like to come to Jesus? Well, here's the thing. Those things I mentioned, church attendance, singing, fighting sin, all that stuff, those are crucial things and those are necessary things. But it can't be just those things. There's gotta be something else he's talking about. And I say that because there's a lot of us in the room today that are doing those things, we're coming to church and we're singing songs. 
but we're just as tired as our next door neighbor that's never darkened the door of a church. And so what is he actually asking us to do when he says come to him? Well, he actually gets really specific in the next verses on, on what it looks like for you to, and me to come to him. Let me read verse 28 one more time. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says, here's what it's gonna look like for you to come to me. Watch what he says next in verse 29. Here's what it looks like. He says, take my yoke upon you. That's what it looks like to come to Jesus. He says, I need you to take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. So Jesus says, there's two things you gotta do. It's what it looks like for you to come to him. Number one, you take his yoke upon you and you learn from him. Now, what in the world does that mean? What that means is this. Back in the day, whenever a rabbi or a teacher was gonna take on a student or they were gonna take on a disciple, the student would come to the teacher, he would come to the rabbi and, and basically say, hey, I wanna be your disciple. Will you teach me? Can I follow you? Can I be your disciple? And if the teacher agreed and said yes, hear this, the student was considered to be yoked to the teacher. They were yoked together. It was a word picture. And uh, if you remember back in the day that if you, if you were plowing a field, you'd get two oxen and put them in a yoke together and together they would plow the field, okay? Side by side. And that was the analogy that was used back then for teachers and their disciples. So when you became someone's disciple, you were considered yoked to them. It meant whatever the teacher did, you did. It meant whatever the, the teacher wanted, you did. It's wherever, wherever the teacher went, that's where you went. For the student, it meant laying, completely laying down their old life. Walking away from their old life and joining themselves completely to the yoke of the teacher. That's what it meant. And so Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says, how you do it? In verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And you will find rest for your souls. And he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I was thinking about this as I was writing the sermon. He totally and very easily could have said, if you want to find rest, what you need to do is, is go to church more. He could have said, man, if you want to find rest for your souls, that what you need to do is you need to worship with a little more passion. He doesn't. He could have said, if you want to find rest for your soul, then, then you need to get serious about reading your Bible. There's a lot of things he could have told us to do, and all those things are important, but that's not what he says. He said, if you want to find rest for your soul, then you need to get in my yoke. And what does that mean? What he's saying is if you want to find rest for your soul, that means you need to come to me and say, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. Not just a church attender, not just a song singer, not just a sermon listener, but Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I'm going to come along beside you and I'm going to get in the yoke with you. And wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you, whatever you want, I am all in. Whatever you do, I'm doing because I'm gonna lay down my old life and I'm gonna join myself completely to you. Listen, do not, check this out, guys. I think the reason that so many of us in this room, 
would say that we're Christians, but we're experiencing Christianity as a burden. Because I think there's far too many of us that are walking and going through the motions of Christianity, but you've never actually gotten the yoke with Jesus. There's far too many of us that are playing church, but we've never come up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I am in. Put your yoke on me wherever you go. I'm going. I think what we do more often is we come in on a Sunday and we put his yoke on for about an hour and 15 minutes. And it feels good, doesn't it? Have you notice that when you come to church and you start singing that there's that, that eternal longing in you that's been barking at you all week starts sort of getting satisfied? You're like, man, this feels good. And, and, and you're like, Jesus, all to you I surrender. All to you I freely give. But then what do you do? We walk out the door and we take the yoke off and then we put on some other stupid yoke that doesn't do anything but wear us out. I read something the other day that I think really gets to the heart of this and I'm almost done, so hang with me, check it out. It's just a little quote, don't miss it. It said, sooner or later, every person has to come to grips with whether he or me will be at the center of their existence. That's true. It's sort of the heart of what Jesus is getting out here. He's saying that for every single person has to come to grips with whether he or me is gonna be at the center of their existence. And the reality is you're gonna make that decision today. You're gonna make that decision today. And then you're gonna get up in the morning and you're gonna make the decision again. And then you're gonna get up again and make the decision again. And you're either gonna respond to Jesus' invitation like the strong and the wise and say, no thanks, Jesus, I got this. I got it. I can figure it out. I'm gonna find rest on my own. Or you'll respond like the babe that says in humility, I'm I'm sick and tired of trying to find rest on my own because it's not working. And so Jesus, today I'm coming to you. And the promise of Jesus, if you'll do that, He'll give you rest. Almost done. You know, one of the greatest evidences that I've ever seen in my life that what Jesus says here is absolutely true is not that I've seen it in my life, and I have. This has been true in my life. When I come to him, when when I'm all in, there's rest. When I'm not, there's no rest. (laughs) Over and over again, I've seen this be true in my life. But one of the things that I think is the greatest evidence is that what Jesus says here is true is I've seen this, this reality of rest in people's lives that have been walking with Jesus for like 60, 70, 80, 90 years. And when you talk to them, they find him faithful. That's convincing to me. My great-grandmother, her name was Theodosia Blackburn. Called her Mimaw, man, I loved her and she loved me. And when she was 93 years old, her body was failing. Her eyesight, all that, she was just so frail. And I remember I came to meet with her right before she passed away. Her eyes were growing dim. And I looked at her and I said, Mimaw, are you ready to see Jesus? 
And she sort of perked up. And the light sort of came back into her eyes and her eyes kind of opened up like this and you saw just a second of that old spark and she sort of leaned in and said, oh yeah, oh yeah, I can't wait to see him. I wish he'd hurry. You know something? You don't say that about a man that hadn't been faithful to his promises in your life. But a man who has, you will. Years ago, I read this book. I'll end with this. It was a pastor that was toward the end of his life, and he was talking about this reality of Jesus' faithfulness. Here's what he said. He said, bottom line, the longer I live, the more I just get flat out tired of me. But I never get tired of Jesus. After all these years, I still find him more compelling more engaging, more awesome, more surprising, more fulfilling, and more attractive than ever before. I never get tired of singing his praises or watching him perform. I find him to be gripping, absorbing, beyond comprehension. And that's why along with Paul and my grandmother and Billy Graham and countless others through the years, I find myself longing to know him better. I'm becoming increasingly aware that life doesn't go on forever. When we're young, we think we're bulletproof. We live like we'll never die. But when your knees protest certain movements and your eyesight and memory begin to grow fuzzy, amen, reality sets in and time moves us on. And before long, we will all be on the edge of life in the past tense with most of our days in the rearview mirror. As much as I would rather not think about it, The day is coming where I'll be sitting in the corner of some nursing home waiting for the lunch bell to ring. If my life up to that point has all been about me, that would be a sad and empty day. Why? Because all I'll have will be me, which at that point won't be much. But if my life has been about knowing Jesus and experiencing a deepening relationship with him as I sit in that corner of that nursing home waiting for the lunch bell to ring, he'll be there with me. And he'll be more wonderful on that day than ever before. And his presence will be my companion and he'll talk with me and I won't have any trouble hearing him when he tells me that I am his own. He'll say, well, you're almost home. And I'll say, Lord, the sooner the better. I've heard your voice through all these years and now I can't wait to see your face. And so sweet will be my fellowship with him and so wonderful will be his presence that I just might miss that lunch bell. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be 93 years old in the corner of a nursing home without Jesus there with me. And so let's start today. Let's pray. You bow your heads and close your eyes with me and really quickly, I just want to talk to two people for just a second. I want to talk to anybody in the room that has never in their life 
trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's never come to Christ and say, Jesus, I have tried this long enough on my own and it's not working. So I'm coming to you. Just in the best way you know how, ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to receive you as a child or daughter of God and fill you with a spirit and give you the power to walk with him. Give you the power to yoke yourself to him. The second group of people I want to talk to briefly are, are the Christians in your room that you're tired. And the reason that you're tired is because you've yoked yourself to something that's not Jesus. Man, take it off today. Lay it down at the foot of the cross and pick up his yoke. And his yoke is the only yoke you'll ever get into that's easy. And he's the only one that you can bring your burden to and he will carry it all. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its clarity. I thank you for its power. I thank you for how you speak to us. You speak to the deepest needs of our hearts and our souls. Father, I pray you would forgive me for the time that I've picked up yokes that weren't you. And I thank you that you're waiting for me every time that I come home. Father, I love you. I praise you. I pray you would be honored by this church. And you'd be honored by us. And so I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together.